0: In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, every year we hear the exchange of words between the lawyer and our Lord, and we hear the parable that Jesus teaches, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Now I'll summarize the gospel lesson briefly and then get into the main point for this sermon. Uh, The gospel lesson is about a lawyer who asks Jesus how he can inherit eternal life. And just to clarify, the word lawyer here is not a lawyer of political law. The lawyer is an expert in the law of God, in the Torah. So that means that this man really was a theologian, an expert or a master in the scriptures. He knew how to read the scriptures. But in his arrogance, he stood up to test Jesus, which is a bad idea. And the man asked how to inherit eternal life. And Jesus said, what is written in the law? And the theologian said, love the Lord your God with all your heart uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus said, okay, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. Now, the theologian uh, was in trouble uh, because of this. Because just because uh, he knew what the Bible said, that doesn't mean that he had the ability to do it then. So in this sense, knowledge isn't power. So simply knowing the Ten Commandments isn't enough to keep them. And that's what this man knows, and that's his problem. So what does he do? The Bible says, And he, desiring to justify himself, that is, he's trying to justify his actions, specifically his sin, he's trying to find a loophole or some excuse as to why he hasn't loved his neighbor as himself. And so he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? This guy's trying to get out of the law. The law says, Love your neighbor, do this, and you'll live. And so that means if you don't do this, then you will die, you'll be condemned. So the man already knows he hasn't loved everyone. And so he's trying to figure out who he can exclude from his love, his time, and his care. Who can he write off? Now, the, to, to, uh, in application to you, for you to consider this, how many times have uh, you done this? And how many times have you thought just like this guy? That God tells us to love our neighbor, but about how many exceptions to the rule uh, do you have? And where have you drawn the line? Now, I know some struggle with this a lot, and some struggle with this more than others. In fact, when I preached on this same text last year, a lot of you said it was a great sermon and you loved it, but then you also had a lot of questions too. And most of those questions were what ifs. For example, what if the person doesn't stop hurting you? Or what if the person never said sorry? Do you still love your neighbor as yourself? Or what if the person isn't a Christian? Or so on and so forth. And, and this is what I told you. I said, uh, when I responded to you, I said, the law says what it says. It doesn't change based on your circumstance. Even if it's difficult. You must, that is what the law says. You must love that person that you're angry with, that you're thinking of even right now. In other words, the law is very simple. It demands that you love your neighbor as yourself. And when we hear it, our hearts fight against it and say, that's impossible. No, I can't. I can't do this. So we try to find a loophole or a way out to think, uh, to get out of it. So instead of confessing sin, we're simply trying to do what the lawyer did. But in a different way, we're trying to find a way to justify ourselves. Or we think, well, is this person really still my neighbor? Okay, so I preached about this at length last year, but what I want to do today is preach about a hypothetical situation. And the hypothetical situation is this. Imagine that conversation between God the Father and His only begotten Son. Uh, Luther imagined this in his hymn, uh, in in, uh, the hymn he wrote, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoice. Uh, And I'm just going to use his words. So he imagines that the father is communicating with the son. And it says this, God said to his beloved son, it's time to have compassion. Then go bright jewel of my crown and bring to all salvation from sin and sorrow. Set them free. Slay bitter death for them that they may live with you forever. Now, imagine that the father said this to his only begotten son. And now imagine that Jesus heard this. And then responded by saying, okay, but which ones? On whom should I have compassion? Who should I set free from sin and sorrow? Who should I suffer and die for? In other words, who is my neighbor? And this is what I want you to think about. What if Jesus were the kind of neighbor to us that we are to one another? What if his thoughts were our thoughts, and his ways were like our ways? If Jesus defined a neighbor the way that you define neighbor, would Jesus have died for you? This is actually a very dark thing to think about, and it's actually frightening. Uh, nevertheless, there's an entire branch of theology, a false doctrine, which teaches uh, what is often referred to as particular redemption, or limited or definite atonement. And it's the teaching that Christ's death on the cross is for particular people, a select group of people, that his atonement is limited to a few. Simply put, it's the teaching that Jesus did not die for everybody, that he did not stop to help everybody, but that he only died for the church for the Christians, he died only for those who would ultimately be in heaven with him. It's that God does not love old men, that Christ did not redeem old men, that the Holy Spirit does not desire to convert old men. And so not a drop of his blood is wasted on the cross. Now, to illustrate the point, there's a hymn that has a bit of confusing language. Uh, The hymn was written by a man named, uh, by the name of uh, Charles Wesley in the 18th century. He wrote this hymn titled, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. Uh, Wesley was actually against, vehemently against this idea that Jesus died only for some and not for all. However, in this hymn, he wrote the following words. Listen, he says, Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending. This is Jesus. Lo, He Comes with Clouds Descending once for favored Sinners slain. His intent was to say that God favors the entire human race. He favors all sinners. However, there's a lot of confusion over this text because it sounds like God has favored some sinners over others. And many are confused by these words. And they took them to mean that this hymn taught a limited atonement, the idea that Jesus died only for some and not for all. So you can see how confusing and unhelpful this is. So if this is true, then who are those favored sinners? And are these sinners favored completely at random? Or do you need a certain amount of good works to be favored? Do you need a certain amount of faith to be favored? Do you need to be a Christian for a certain amount of time to be favored? Uh, Do you have to go to church a certain amount of times to be favored? So on and so forth. Where's the cutoff point? Uh, Like I preached in, uh, in the sermon two weeks ago, This only leads you looking to yourself and your own heart. It leaves you looking away from Jesus, and it takes away all certainty. If Christ died only for Christians, then you would never have the peace or comfort of the gospel, because you'll always wonder if God favors you or not. And if this were the case, then that means that Jesus would be sinful like us. It would mean that he favors some and not others, that he is a neighbor only to some, that he has fulfilled some of the law. It means that he would not truly be keeping the law that God requires. So let me exaggerate this even further to show you how this false teaching removes all comfort of the gospel, even on a smaller scale. Just imagine this. Imagine that the Bible said that Jesus died on the cross for everyone in the entire world to have ever lived, who will ever exist in the entire world, ever, except for one person. So imagine the Bible said that Jesus died for everybody except one person. And imagine that the Bible never told us who that person was. Every single Christian in every nation Every generation, every year, every day would not be able to sleep well at night because they would be worried out of their mind, wondering if they were that one person whom Jesus did not die for. In fact, we'd be wondering about this. You get panicked for much less. Now imagine if the Bible says this. Imagine if you were truly plagued by this teaching, if there were only one person that Jesus did not suffer and die for, then no one could be certain or sure of salvation. And you would think, did Jesus consider me his neighbor or am I the outcast? Now that hymn I told you about earlier, that's in our hymnal has been changed uh, to take away these doubts. And the words changed and it's one little word and it makes all the difference. The word of this hymn uh, was changed in this way, that it says, lo, he comes with clouds descending. uh, Remember it said once for favored sinners slain. Uh, Now it says, once for every sinner slain. And this removes all of the doubt, and it makes all the difference. Because you'll always doubt if you're good enough. You'll always doubt if your faith is strong enough. If you're being as true and honest and sincere in your confession as you should be. You'll doubt any good in you. You'll doubt even your faith. You'll doubt that there is any reason that God should favor you, that he should send his son to die for you. But there's one thing you don't doubt. There's one thing that you know for sure. And that is that you are a sinner. That is that you are a poor, miserable sinner and that you have every reason to believe that God doesn't favor you. And you know this well. You know your guilt. You know your haunting past. You know your own mistakes. You know your regrets. You know and can feel the lust radiating from your gut. You know and feel the anger coursing through your veins. You know how many sinful thoughts fill your mind. You know that you're not perfect. You know that how many neighbors you have written off and just do not love them. You know them by name. And even if you can't feel how sinful you are, then that should tell you how sinful you are. If you don't feel bad about your sin, it shows how much sin has numbed you and dominated you. If you can't feel your sinfulness, it's because your heart is getting hardened. Now, uh, as a pastor, I don't get so concerned with those of you who feel bad and guilty. That means your conscience is working. But I get very concerned with those who don't feel bad or guilty. Those who no longer feel regret or shame for sin. And this is the point. If you feel your sin, that means you're a sinner. And if you don't feel your sin, that means you're a sinner. (laughs) Actually, so it doesn't really matter how you feel. We don't confess that we're sinners because we feel like we're sinners. We confess that we're sinners because it's true. And if you know this well, if you know what the Bible says about you, that if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself, then don't despair because Jesus has died specifically for sinners, for all sinners. And that means he died for everyone. He shows no partiality and he shows his favor to all sinners. That means he has died for everyone and therefore he died for you. This isn't just some wishful thinking. It's what God has revealed. Titus chapter 2, 11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Uh, John 3, 16 says, For God so loved the world. 1 Timothy 2, 6 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, uh, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Romans 5 says, As one trespass le- led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. And First John 2 says, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the entire world. And that's the gospel. That Jesus is the neighbor to us. That none of us have been to each other. And that none of us were to him. He became our neighbor 2,000 years ago when he took our flesh and blood and when he saw our entire world bloody, half-dead on the side of the road of this entire universe. And when he saw us, his eyes were filled with love and he didn't pass us by. He passed not one of you by. He didn't look the other way when he saw the filthiest and the ugliest of sinners. And this is a comfort because isn't... Sometimes the filthiest and ugliest sinner you can imagine, yourself. When he saw the most wretched and vile of sinners, he saw those who were lost and condemned for dead, left for dead, and he did not keep walking by. Rather, he lowered himself, he came down to our level, he got down on his hands and his knees, and he got bloody and dirty and paid whatever price was necessary. To save you. And when he was wounded on that cross, he healed you. And when he breathed his last, that's when he gave you life. And when he poured out every ounce of blood in his veins, that's when he fulfilled the law which no one could accomplish. When he closed his eyes in death, that is when he forgave the sins of the entire world. He fulfilled the law without an excuse. And without an exception. He has atoned for the sins of the whole world. There is not one person whom the Lord Jesus did not die for. He died for even the worst in this world. Those who would reject him. Those who mock him. Those who scoff and hate him. He loves them still. So this is you. He loves even you. And he has forgiven your sins. So you may think to yourself, look, I'm too sinful, I'm too different, I'm too other, I'm too far gone, I'm too lost, I'm too wounded, I am too perverse, I am too addicted, I am too promiscuous, I am too angry, too unfaithful, too unweak. I've fallen back into the same sins one too many times. You may be too different or difficult or sinful for some in this world, but you are not for Jesus. Others may pass you by and already have, but Jesus has not, and he will not pass you by. And when he looks at you, he considers you to be worth his time and his suffering. Romans 5.10 says, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Dear saints, we like this poor lawyer oftentimes focus on the kind of neighbor we need to be. But today, Jesus tells us the type of neighbor that he is to us. The type of neighbor that we have in God. Jesus points us all to the law, not so that we could be saved by it, but so that we can see that we cannot save ourselves. We don't have the love that we need to fulfill the law. So Jesus teaches us to look to him, our good Samaritan, who shows us mercy. And Jesus is that good Samaritan who showed you mercy on the cross. To this entire world, he showed his mercy. And so go and do likewise. Go and love your neighbor as yourself. Drop your grudge and your excuse. Tear down the wall of division or prejudice or hostility. Love those who persecute you. And when you fail to keep that law of love, then come back and receive the mercy you need from Jesus and go and do it again. You will, your love for your neighbor is going to fail time and time again, but God's love for you won't. So don't rely on your love for your neighbor to save you. Rather... Recognize that you lack the love which God demands of you. And remember that your love for your neighbor will not save you. But God's love for you will. And it has. God has had mercy on you. He spilled his blood on you. He forgave you all of your sins. He does not hold one thing against you. So go and do likewise. Amen.